Oftentimes, society wants us to check a box. I'm a mom. I have a career. I'm an entrepreneur. They tell us to niche down. But what happens when you want to have it all? Welcome to the Multifaceted AF Podcast. My name is Kay, and my mission is to help men and women everywhere own all of the pieces of who they are in every way. We're going to be joined by guests and friends that show us what celebration of taking up space in all places really looks like. Now let's dive in. Meet Margaret Gregory, a dedicated educational leader who was committed to providing equitable and rigorous access to education and opportunities for all students. Margaret, who was born and raised in Roxbury, graduated from Bennett College for Women, located in Greensboro, North Carolina in 2011, with a major in journalism, media studies, and a minor in music. Margaret has spent the last decade making an impact on the students and community as a principal at Boston Prep Charter School in High Park. With a passion for education and a commitment to fostering positive change, Ms. Gregory has now embarked on a new journey as the principal of Condon K-8 within the Boston public school system. Ms. Gregory has always believed in the power of education to transform the lives and communities, and this belief has been the core of her work. One of the most remarkable aspects of Ms. Gregory's journey is her personal resilience. She's not only an exceptional educational leader, but also a breast cancer survivor who has shown remarkable strength and courage in facing adversity. This personal battle has only deepened her commitment to making a difference in the lives of the students and families that she serves. Ms. Gregory is not just a leader, but also a source of inspiration, showing that with determination and passion for education, one can overcome even the most formidable challenges. Her story is a testament to the power of perseverance and the impact that a dedicated educator can have on the lives of many. With a heart full of compassion, and a spirit that refuses to be defeated, Miss Gregory is super passionate about creating a bright future. So today I'm joined by Margaret Gregory. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so Margaret and I go way back. How old were we when we met? We were like in elementary school, middle school? Definitely in elementary school. Um, I don't know, maybe seven? Elizabeth. A long time ago. So we grew up in church together. So I've known her a very long time. But she's now Miss Gregory. Um, Margaret, introduce yourself to the listeners. All right. My name is Margaret Gregory. Um, I'm born and raised in Boston, first generation American. Both my parents are from the lovely country and island of Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad to be here. Okay. I appreciate you coming. So uh, Margaret is a principal. I've spent some time working with her at the school that she worked at formerly to bring some STEM activities, some STEM career panels to kind of expose the students to science, technology, engineering, and math and the idea of STEM as a discipline. But I want to talk to you a little bit about representation and what representation means to you. So for me, that was a very powerful representation moment. It was a panel of people of color. So it was myself and several other employees of the company that I work for. And really my mission was, so we ended Black History Month with that panel. And my mission was to show the students of your school that there are people that look like them. So from a skin tone perspective, 
um, people with locks. There were a couple of people on the panel with locks, a woman with the hijab. So people that looked like them, whatever that looks like them meant to them, the people that looked like them um, in these careers make, that were successful and made a path for themselves in this industry. So I want to talk to you a little bit about representation as a black educator. What are some of your representation stories? How do you provide representation? And did you have any kind of representation examples coming up? So that's a big question. And so for me, representation is very important. And I say very important because I think in working, I, I've been in, at the school that I just left. I started from the bottom. So I was a substitute for about three years and mm -hmm. I always dressed the part of the job that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then over time, as I climbed the ladder in that school, it was it was always a, hey, I'm Miss Gregory. And, you know, you would get those looks because people would be surprised. I'm young. Um, I'm a black woman. Um, and then to be a leader of a school responsible for over 300 students at the time. Um, and it was really powerful to see students just lean in and be very uh, supportive and appreciative, but also understanding that I'm just like them. Mm -hmm. And I just have this opportunity to be able to impact uh, the young lives of the students that I've impacted um, and have worked with closely throughout the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me growing up, I think I had examples of what not to do from, mm -hmm. my, from, from my older siblings. Mm -hmm. And I had really great and strong role models in my life who you know, had a similar story, had a similar upbringing, but also had one one um, gleaming characteristic was just perseverance. Okay. And so going through life, just knowing that, okay, if I knew someone else did it, I can do it too. Uh, so that was really my motivation throughout, throughout my career. Um, and I'm blessed right now. I see I'm in a more diverse school. And so I see and I work with like uh, elementary and kinder grades. Uh -huh. And so you see students, students like, yeah, my principal. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It is me. And, you know, I think it's just like a wow moment. Uh -huh. but also, like I can be that person, too. OK, so what are your aspirations? So you talked about being at the school that you were at for 10 years. You talked about a recent kind of pivot for you. Do you have like, this is where I want to be? This is what I plan to achieve? Or what does your career progression look like? The school that I'm in currently is in, in transformation. And so I am charged with the job of bringing that school out of transformation mm -hmm. into increasing our, our academic and student achievement data. Um, and so for me, I see myself working to accomplish that and to achieve that. Mm -hmm. And I say I would do it in about five years. And I think ultimately I want to be a consultant. Okay. I want to be a storyteller. Okay. I used to say I wanted to be a, a motivational speaker, but those are not, that's not a real job. I mean, but it could be. A storyteller. A storyteller, absolutely. A storyteller sounds a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about just the, the ways in which I've been able to interact with students by telling stories of my own and then stories of others that I, you know, have come into close contact with. Mm -hmm. That has been something that I, I, I'm really passionate about. Okay. All right. So you talked about the idea of being a motivational speaker and being a storyteller. I know that you have somewhat of a more creative background. Talk to me a little bit about kind of what other pursuits you have. So when we think about being multifaceted, yes, I'm an educator, but I'm so much more. So talk to me about what else you're multifaceted. What else? I'm multifaceted. I like clothes. <laughs> I just had to get a new outfit to come here today because <laughs> I didn't like my outfit that I wore and I was going to be on the big screen. The goal is to be famous. Okay. Make this happen. <laughs> um, I I am a singer, a songwriter. I have not dabbled in that with my career of choice. I but I at moments where I have time and leisure, I do get on 
you know, my keyboard or my guitar. And I and I dabble into singing a little bit. And I and I try to go out to karaoke's and open mics. And what I'm actually currently working on is I'm not gonna say I'm writing a book, but I'm I'm preparing to start to write a book. Okay. And that takes a lot okay. uh, of time and thought. Um, but I know when being multifaceted, I know it's also like what other things can I do? So there's a lot of things that I've experienced in life that I feel like can impact the other other lives of of other young black women as myself and mm-hmm. other women just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so wanting to be able to share that and to share my story because I know it could it could bless or impact or, you know, provide a little bit of clarity for some folks. Absolutely. I almost forgot that you were a singer. Great singer. She is an amazing singer. And actually, you sang at my husband's funeral. I did. I asked her to sing at my husband's funeral and it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was moving. And I still remember that to this day. I forgot for a second, just for a little bit that you were a singer. But she's a great singer. She has a beautiful voice. I'm not going to put her on this. We would just stand here. That's not going to make me. I don't know. I'm not going to put her on this. I ask her to sing. I don't even know if we can find the clip of her singing that we can put in. Like, just like. But she's an amazing singer. Okay. So one of the things that I often do is have my guests pull an affirmation card. So the way the affirmation cards work, I think I gifted you a deck, but the way the affirmation cards work, it's really just positive statements that are designed to kind of help ground you in the moment. Um, I've found that a lot of people, it resonates with you. Oftentimes, whatever card you pull, it is by happenstance that you pull that card, but there are definitely ways to connect it back to what you're going through, um, what's happening around you, and to provide that little bit of encouragement. So I'll have you pull it, and then we can kind of talk about what it means to you. All right. So this one says, there is a divine purpose for all of the experiences I go through. I will continue to trust my growth journey. Okay. And what does that mean to you? I think it it means a lot as I, as, so there's a lot I could say about that. Um, This year, this past year, I just ended a 10 year career at a school that I was, where I started my, my career in a sense. Um, as an educator. Um, and for me, it was really hard. And I think it it came after just a lot of challenges after returning from COVID. And I think taking a leap of faith and and, and getting a job in the BPS school system was something that I, I want to say, I, I don't know if I actually really wanted it, but I think about the opportunities that it was going to provide me. And so I took a leap of faith. You know, I think oftentimes working at a charter school, I would say that I was a fake principal. <laughs> right now, I feel like I'm a real principal and sometimes wish to go back to being a fake one. principal. <laughs> but I think sometimes in, in moments where I feel I'm discouraged, I always come back to this space of like, if it wasn't for me, then I wouldn't get it. And so I think that was my prayer. I was like, God, if this job is for me, let me get it. If it's not, let me just stay where I'm at. And it wasn't for money. I, I was making the same amount of money that I'm making at this new job, but it was like the opportunity and to really just lean into my leadership and to really believe in my ability. And then after a while, when you know people after working at a job that you've climbed the ladder significantly, you know, the people who were once your coworkers, you're now their boss. That dynamic is a little different. That's a tough one. And that fixed and growth mindset. Yeah. That was always a struggle where people always questioned my authority. And so feeling like going into a new space was something that I felt like I needed to do just for me to prove to myself. Mm -hmm. And back in 2020, when COVID. Actually, back in 2020, I was appointed the role as principal. Like my my principal at the time went on maternity leave and I 
then became interim principal um, when school closed. And then I was appointed the next year. But in between that time in August, I believe the date was August 12th, I received a call and I was informed that I had breast cancer. And if I go back a little bit, I, I, I felt the lump in my, in my breast. Um, and I don't know if many women do the same thing, but I thought it was nothing. And again, in COVID, I called my doctor. They were like, oh, it's nothing. Women get it all the time. And I just think about that moment. If I took that chance or if I took that, it's nothing. And just went about my way. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would be here today. Mm -hmm. So I went to the hospital, found out that I had breast cancer in two, in both of my breasts. Wow. And I had two different types of breast cancer. One was uh, my estrogen receptor, which means my body just produces too much estrogen. The other one is HER2 positive. I don't really know much about that. Yep. So I actually do. Um, the, the lab that I worked in, we did um, cancer genotyping testing. So it is just, it's a, it's a, it's a type of, Breast cancer, yeah. I want to say it's the most common one. Mm -hmm. um, and so two different types, stage two and stage three. And chemo treatment and that whole pathway was, it was challenging. It wasn't challenging because I had to go for chemo treatment. It was challenging because I had to pause, take a step back, and to really remove myself from all the things that I, I, I wanted to do. So I just got the new job as a principal. And here I am and I'm saying... It's not from my own doing, but from whatever's in my body, I have to. And I was forced to just pause. And so I was able to go to a holistic doctor, you know, get some support, was taking some supplements. So when I went to chemo treatment every Monday for about two years, I felt good in my body. Um, I did change the way that I was eating. And I think for me, and, and I say this, and I say this, and I, and I say it sparingly because I know that when you hear the cancer word, cancer, it's always like you think of death and I know not everybody survives and nobody, not everybody has the same testimony that I do. Um, but I say for me, cancer was a way in which it saved my life. I just got out of a real toxic relationship. I, and I, in the moment, I thought I was choosing that person over my own health. I got, I got a chance to, to see myself um, outside of work. And I just got a chance to just come back to me. And I think where I am right now, if the cancer hadn't halted everything that I was doing, one, I want to be here. But two, I don't think I would be in the same mind, mind frame and mindset of where I am right now and knowing that I have so many opportunities that are awaiting me. Wow. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So for you kind of going through um, kind of that cancer treatment, the diagnosis, the treatment, that ex the experience. Talk to me a little bit about your mindset during that period. So coming out of it, kind of hindsight is 2020 and you can look back and reflect. And I hear what you're saying about how you feel about it now. But talk to me about what it was like going through that. Going through it. I think this they say there's seven stages of grief, right? I think going through it, the first one was, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go and I'm not going to do the chemo treatment. I'm going to let it do whatever it does. Um, I think... A, a, a level of disbelief, like how could this come to me? Uh -huh. Nobody in my family with cancer, nobody ever. It was just unbelievable. And I think about just the world in which we are in, it was like, you know, now I have to get a double mastectomy and people are going to misgender me. And uh, I already, I lost all my, really all I cared about was my eyebrows and my eyelashes. <laughs> so, and then I was just like, I was kind of heavy set before cancer. So when I was going for chemo treatment, I was just like, why is the weight not coming off? And our nurses would think that I was crazy. But 
those are the things I tried to make light of it. But one thing, once I came around uh, to terms with whatever was going on and I, and I felt confident in my doctors and their belief in my ability to overcome this challenge, mm-hmm. um, the way in which I showed up to my chemo treatments was a little different. So I always wanted to dress the part. Right. I, and I think oftentimes I would get the, the question, like, are you a patient here? And I think people would and I would say, yes, I am a patient. Um, but I, I, I cared a great deal about how I looked because I knew that there were going to be moments where I wasn't going to be a fan of it. When I lost my eyebrows, um, when it serviced my ER receptor cancer, ER positive, um, that's when I lost like all of my hair, all of my eyelashes, all of my eyebrows. I would keep talking about it because I care <laughs> a great deal about them. Um, I dressed the part. And so I think like, although I am cancer free right now, what I did know um, after I after many chances and many tries that my genetics counselor asked of me, I finally got a genetics test. Uh, And so I do have a gene, Lefermity syndrome, TP53. um, And pretty much it it, I can at any moment um, develop brain cancer, cervical cancer, stomach cancer, colon cancer. And so while I am cancer free at the moment, there's some things that I still have to do. So every four weeks, I got to get a shot in my side. Every day I take a pill, letrozole. I am um, menopausal at the moment, so I get hot flashes. So if you see me sweat, it's not because I'm nervous. It's because uh, it's the hot flash. And so there's a what I was thinking was a, a sprint was actually a marathon and even coming back after a surgery, if I stretch my arms too wide, I'm never the same. Um, you know, I get Charlie horses in my side and didn't know it was a thing. But I think I'm just learning to just be grateful with the fact that I, I'm here um, and I have a story to tell. And I think I can impact uh, the lives of other people. And one thing about being open about what I have experienced is that I've been able to be a beacon of hope for others. I think there have been several friends after my diagnosis who are also just as young as me who are now experiencing certain types of cancer. And one thing I say to them is, you know, healthcare is an industry. And unfortunately, if you go to a doctor's office and everybody in the room looks like you go to another doctor. Um, and then I also advocate and I tell folks like, you know, when you go and a doctor is giving you options, they should be sound in their decisions because the goal is to to, to self-preservation. So they want to preserve your life and your youth as much as possible. And if whatever they're doing is just surgery, remove it and let it go. That's not an option. You want to make sure the doctors are actually working for you. Okay. When you talked about kind of your process, your treatment process, you talked about um, the holistic kind of add-on. Talk to me a little bit about that. The holistic add-on, man. I can't really explain what it was, but there was a lady, a family friend, is like light therapy, and there was like a water density test. And really the person was reading me um, and found out that I may have had the cancer in my body for longer than I thought. Okay. And I think there was a lot of trauma that I never, I never addressed. I think one significant one was the death of a cousin of mine. We were, we became cousins through marriage, but she was a childhood friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I ever, I never dealt with it. I think in the beginning, I was very angry. I think in the beginning, I was mad at the person who survived. I think in the beginning, I just, I just shut down and I don't even go to the church because it always brings me back and it's a little emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that was one thing that I had to release and I had to come to terms with. And recently, um, this one girl, um, which was uh, Kristen's friend, she's like really great friends with my best friend. And I had to actually tell her like, look, every time I see you, it's trying to trigger me, okay? And I was like, um, I don't want you to think I'm being, you know, passive or just being rude or ignorant. It's just more so, it's a trigger for me. Um, and she was like, we felt the same way. And it was, that was, I felt like was my culminating moment of like, okay, Margaret, you can progress. Um, and then I was in a toxic relationship. And there's a lot of things when you don't take care of yourself, there's certain things that you think about being in a relationship and you just want a person, you're attached to them. Um, you don't realize the signs and the things that you endure. And so my cancer treatment was therapy. The people that needed to get off the bus got off the bus and the people who needed to get on the bus got on the bus. And so I think it was a hard transition. It was like a breakup, cancer, treatment, no work, no nothing. So I was bored as hell um, during COVID, but I had a lot to do, a lot of self-discovery, a lot of just sitting mm -hmm. with myself mm -hmm. and a lot of just, just crying, but I had to release those things. That's really powerful to hear. Um, so you touched on some of that grief, some of that unprocessed grief with the loss of Kristen, who we were both very close to. We got meant to tattoo. We do. Forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. So mine's here. They already had tattoos in college. So. so yeah. So I didn't plan on talking about this, but you talk about the fact that it was something that it was a very traumatic experience. We were young and it was a very harsh, very abrupt, very violent incident that happened um, to somebody that was so close to home. Because, I mean, we hear about murder on the news all the time, but it's on the news. And you might know somebody that's a little bit further removed, a few degrees of separation. But this is somebody that we grew up with. We're together several times a week every week for the majority of our life at that point, because it was sometimes Wednesday Bible study. It was youth service on Friday. It was prayer on Saturday morning. It was Sunday school on Sunday morning, children's church, Sunday service, choir practice. So this was somebody that we were together with on a regular basis for hours and hours and hours. We grew up very close and to be just like ripped away from us in such a brutal way. For something that really, if you think about the backstory behind the crime and who she was, that wasn't her. It wasn't, she wasn't at the intended target, but it was wrong place, wrong time, wrong company. Um, and I remember getting the news. I was away. We were in Jamaica. Um, and I remember those feelings. And to your point, like, it wasn't necessarily something that was processed. It was something that we, I mean, we dealt with. We had the funeral service, beautiful service. We tried to kind of pay homage to her and kind of remember her in the way that we thought would do her justice. But it was definitely not something that we talked about much. I mean, I remember we've definitely went to go visit her gravesite several times. But in terms of the processing it, I think that that's a really powerful thing that you talk about. It's that trauma and what we do with it. And the fact that if you don't deal with it, like it has to go somewhere. So like you're holding on to it. It's it's there. It's inside of you. 
And if you're not going to process it, it's going to get processed one way or another. I know for me, it was that that happened. And then not too long after my husband was diagnosed, went through his process. And I talk very openly about the fact that I didn't I wasn't doing the best in terms of taking care of myself during the time of being a, a caregiver for him because I'm the caregiver. It's not really about me. It was about him. And then after his passing, very similarly, life has to go on. For me, I was picking up the pieces of kind of the life that was left around, trying to create a new normal for myself and my son and just trying to keep going. And it wasn't until a while later, I think it might have been over a year after, where it was just like that trauma. I was wearing it, the grief. I was It was heavy. I hadn't processed it. I hadn't really done any of the work to kind of unpack it. And you just you run up against the wall. You just get to a place where you have like one way or another, you're going to process it. So for me, it looks a lot like just anger. That grief looked like anger. I was angry at everybody for no reason, but just like it had to come out in some way. And that's how it came out. So I think that while it wasn't the best situation for you, the fact that you were able to process so much and kind of work through all of those feelings is really, it's really powerful. I would also say that I got some answers, right? I think there was some things and talking about Kristen, I was like, she didn't know, but then I, I got some clarity and I think it didn't make me feel good when I heard it. We could talk about it offline. Mm-hmm. I think um, more so of I got answers and I could not imagine. I think for a while I was angry at the person who survived. And, you know, I think some of her friends um, and I and I look at it from a different perspective. I I just hung out with this girl not too long ago. And it's one thing to to say that this person probably should have been in the car that night, mm-hmm. wasn't in the car that night. And, you know, I lost one friend. She lost all her friends. That's true. Um, and, you know, and that person who survived, will, life will never be the same. And so me being so angry caused me to not even show empathy of the fact that you survived. Um, and it was a traumatic situation and you're still here and you still live with that trauma. And so, yeah, I, I think I was able to to see the other side versus just from my one, one Absolutely. perspective. Absolutely. I mean, so like I said, that was a very heavy thing to go through. And I think going through kind of your cancer treatment, um, the word that comes to mind when I listen to things that you've talked about is really just resilience. And that ability to persevere through whatever life throws at you. Because, I mean, it's been some things. Life has thrown some things at you. And it really is. You got to kind of roll with the punches. Um, You talked a little bit about the gene that you have and the idea that you are cancer-free now. And there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Do you feel like that has shifts the way you live your life in the day-to-day? The possibility of kids coming back and returning? I think... I don't want to say the worst thing has possibly happened to me because I think there's could be a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I have to go for a routine MRI. So back in March, I had a, a routine full body MRI. If I was something on my brain, of course, I was nervous. Of course, I was scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like uh, in June, end of June, I did a follow up. You know, it's just more so of just being proactive. I, and so nothing, it, it, you know, it, it was founded to be nothing, but it's something that we want to pay close attention mm-hmm. to. And so I think now it's just being proactive. So being cognizant of what I eat, mm-hmm. you know, um, going to the gym, caring about what I'm putting into my body, I'm treating my body, how I show up for work, I think is 
you know, sometimes being the boss, you, you, you get angry at the people that you work closely with and you bottle it in. I do not. I believe in radical candor. I believe in saying it as it is because I don't want to go home with any ill will or animosity. I think a, a doctor said to me that everybody is born with a G, right? Because I'm like, it's like, if everybody can get cancer, why not when they're born get a test so that you can be mm-hmm. able to prevent it? That's not how it works. Again, healthcare is an industry. Radical candor. And so I believe in just saying it what it is because, oh, a doctor said to me, um, everybody is born with a G, but depending on what your life experiences are, that can determine whether that gene is activated or not. Oh, wow. And so it was like, mm. went to a holistic doctor. They were telling me I, I, I was holding on to this trauma. And, you know, I think the trauma is, is rooted in a, a whole bunch of other things. Like I had siblings I didn't really grow up with. They grew up with my father. You know, I struggled. My mother struggled with depression. But those things, we just chuck it under the rug and say, that's just life. But if you realize that growing up, it's not normal. Mm-hmm. And so it just allowed me to do a deep root analysis of my life and try to figure out what are the things that I don't want to be generational curses in my life or in my family's life anymore. And how do I really work diligently at, you know, changing that dynamic? Absolutely. So do you feel like the, I mean, it's definitely a cliche saying to live every day to the fullest. Do you feel like that has taken on new meaning for you? Yes, it does. It definitely does. Okay. I bought a Mercedes. I keep telling <laughs> people that my, my father bought it because everybody tried to call, ask me to tell me if I got money. No. <laughs> I bought a Mercedes. I bought a house. And this was like after I had just came back from work. I didn't even know I was going to be able to do it, but mm-hmm. I was able to do it. Uh, I, I, I buy nice shoes, designer <laughs> shoes. And it's not because I'm materialistic. I think so much people say, I'm going to wait until this. Don't buy a Mercedes until you get that house. Don't do this until that. Don't do. And it's like, life is not promised. I was like, I was living off the fat of the land, just got a new promotion. And I was about to make six figures for the first time. And I was so excited. And then I had to pause. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had been at that school for so long, I could have easily lost my job. Definitely. I could have you know, not been able to have really great insurance. And I think I, I I was off of work for the whole entire year, but I was getting my full salary. That's um, a blessing. My executive director just was that person. That's a Shout blessing. out to Sharon. Uh, <laughs> she really blessed me. And, and it wasn't until I had my surgeries when I actually went on medical leave. So I didn't have any financial problems. Wow. Then. So many people do. And I Absolutely. think some people don't even understand or realize like cancer is one diagnosis. But if you don't have if your body is not healthy enough to get chemo. That's where people don't survive. And so it's like me being young, not necessarily taking care of myself, but still having the opportunity to take and get the most aggressive treatment. When I look back at those bills, I'm talking about 80K per treatment. Some day, sometimes I had. Long days and sometimes I had short days, but long days ran about 80K. Short days ran about 50K. And that's per treatment for two years. Every Monday I was going in for treatment and my copay, $50, but not like $50, pay your $50. Then you go to treatment, $50 was billed to me and I still haven't paid it because I don't <laughs> believe in it. But I think eventually insurance pays it, but that's a blessing, man. 
No, I think that that's very real. I think that what you talked about in terms of like enjoy life now, because this idea of like hold on and wait until I think there's something to be said for some a certain level of responsibility. Right. But I think I have yeah. I think I I think I have a similar way of thinking about things in terms of like I'm going to there's certain things I'm going to do. There's certain things like I'm going to buy myself nice things because I deserve to enjoy them. And like you said, life is short. And I think that going through experiences that show you, I mean, we hear people say life is short all the time. And like I said, there are situations where we hear of instances of some far off person who's experienced it. But I think having it be so close, so near and dear to you and seeing firsthand how short life really can be, it flips the switch in you where you're like, there's certain enjoyment that I'm not going to put off. I'm going to take that PTO day and I'm going to go lay out by the water and I'm going to, like you said, kind of make sure that I'm there's enjoyment in my life. There's the, the nice things that I want. I'm going to make sure that I have them because I feel like that's very real. And that's something that I do frequently. But I think that that might be it. It's the once you go through, once you survive, once you come out the back end of something like that, it definitely is a level of enjoyment that you're just you're adamant about making sure that you get to enjoy. I agree. I think that it's a it's like a second chance at life. And I think we have opportunities or we've had experiences that that was like, a, hey, this is a second chance at life. Take life seriously. Mm-hmm. The death of Kristen was one. I feel like I, I, I use that as a as a, a stepping stool. But then, you know, as years go on, you, you tend to forget certain things. But I think this was an opportunity for me to say, like, this was death looking me right. in the face and saying, you are not unbreakable, mm-hmm. you're not unstoppable. You cannot do everything. But if I had the, because I have the opportunity to, to at a second life, I'll do something different. I'll do right by my body. I'll do right by the people that I keep in my space. I'll do right by sharing and telling my story Absolutely. Uh, to impact other people. That's amazing. So you mentioned that you're getting ready to start writing a book. What's the book going to be about? I don't know. I was going to call it A Cancer's Cancer. That's crazy and that's corny. I'm a cancer <laughs> boy. It's a lie. Um, but no, so I think about, again, being multifaceted is like I can tell one story. But I also think about also wanting to touch the lives of people, right? And so I battled breast cancer. I battled surgery about two surgeries I probably almost died once last November when I tried to get my cosmetic surgery done last summer I got uh, a reconstructive surgery but it was called a deep flap so they took the fat from my stomach and put it in my chest Um, because I am young I did not want implants Um, and this is me trying to not be identified as transgender no offense but it's just me. Uh-huh. And so that surgery was like 15 to 16 hours. They also removed the hernia or repaired the hernia. Then when I had to do the uh, cosmetic part of that surgery, I want to call the anesthesiologist messed up and put my tube down too far down my right lung where my left lung was not receiving oxygen. I want to say I died, but I did not. I think about going to chemo treatment all the time. Um, and I remember how uncomfortable I felt after my, my surgery of having the drains after both surgeries, having four drains. And so a part of my book is a part of this entity that I'm trying to create. So I want a clothing line, but not as a clothing line with a nice logo or something, but it's more so like a clothing line for women where after they've had, you know, that mastectomy, they're able to to wear whatever they want and feel comfortable, but have a place to store those drains. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's a story that comes with it. And so talking about my experiences with helping other people as they cope with this new diagnosis, 
saying that, you know, there's hope on the other side. And if you're young to get chemo treatment, then you're blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the book will really talk about my journey. And, and it's, a, it's a small part of the cancer because I think there's so much more. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just been a lot that I, I want to be able to share. So it will be a memoir. Okay. That's amazing. I can't wait for you to write it so that I can read it. But I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being open and I think a little bit vulnerable because I think that some of the things that you touched on were really sensitive topics. But I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming and sitting down with me and kind of sharing a little bit of yourself with me. Thank you. I thank you for having me. Absolutely. I see you doing your thing. So this is a great <laughs> setup. This nice back here. Yeah, I should see it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode where we celebrate the superpower that is being multifaceted. If this resonates and feels like home, make sure to send it to a friend, colleague, or someone close to you and write a review so we can continue to grow, connect, and celebrate. Until next time, continue showing up as your true self and taking up space.